As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keene, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. It is a jobs report that is always economic and about our lives, and because of that, always political as well. And this has become a wonderful tradition at Bloomberg uh, to give pause, to look at the data, and then to speak to the Secretary of Labor of the United States, the former mayor of Boston, John Farrow, with Marty Walsh. U.S. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, she joins us from Washington. Secretary Walsh, fantastic to catch up with you, sir. A happy new year to you. Let's get straight into the jobs report. I remember a few months back asking you, how can we get inflation down without unemployment climate? Well, I think this jobs report is just for you, sir. Can you tell me what's in this that you think makes it sustainable? Well, I hope we continue the steady growth that we're seeing, uh, seeing the unemployment number come down. I think we have room to grow in communities of color, particularly the black community, Latino community, get those numbers down a little bit. Uh, we've seen, you know, wages are still uh, year over year up uh, 4.1%. Uh, we went down about one-tenth of a percent. I, I think, we, you know, I think we're, come, we're in a very interesting economic time. And, and I don't think that a recovery that, that we're used to coming out of a recession or going into a recession is compatible to what we're experiencing today. So I hope we continue to see these job numbers moving forward. We saw good gains in construction, hospitality, leisure, education, and health. Those areas in the last couple months, we haven't seen the growth we've seen today. So we just want to see it across the board. I think companies realize it too, that it's important for us to continue to move our economy forward. They're bringing people on and we need to keep bringing inflationary pressures down. It's not just the numbers today. It's the jobs numbers we've seen all week. The job openings numbers still elevated. The quicks rate elevated, indicating some confidence. I'm looking at this at the moment, Secretary Walsh. Then I listen to the tech companies who are making these massive layoffs. How do you distinguish between what's happening there and what you see in the official data? Well, I think the tech companies are actually looking the way their business models are. They're looking at how inflate, the inflation rate impacts their business. And a lot of these folks that are being laid off in the tech industry are, are finding jobs in areas that, quite honestly, people are looking for tech experts all across the country. But these tech companies ha- had gobbled up so much talent. Uh, certainly, I, I would like to see lo- short term in the near future, these tech companies rehiring folks back. We don't want to see any industry in the United States of America going through a process of laying large amounts of people off. We want to see them all being successful. A lot of people aren't that we have still a tight labor market. And with that, Secretary Walsh, you and I have been talking about the return of labor power. So let's touch on that a little bit. Can you give us an update on the West Coast port situation? We've gone back and forth on this for, I think, about nine months now, Secretary Walsh. What's going on and how close are we to a deal? Yeah, I... 
I went out there. I was out there a lot this week. Actually, Monday, I went out to the West Coast ports. I had a meeting. Uh, I, I walked the port in, in L.A., in, uh, in Long Beach, and uh, we had good conversations. I asked both sides, the union and the company. Uh, they're back at the table. They're moving forward, uh, and they're having conversations and dialogues. And, uh, you know, I've, the one thing I did ask them, they didn't give me a date. I'd like to see, you know, the, the, the quicker we can get this resolved, the better, because it will bring a little peace of mind to people, particularly in industries of, of shipping. And I think that, you know, I think both sides are committed to getting it done. Uh, I'm not concerned. This is a very different situation than the rail. Uh, the rails were a situation where both sides, in the beginning of the conversation, weren't having conversations. In this particular case, the, the, the shipping companies and, and the unions have been talking all, consistently all along. What would make you concerned? Um, if, if we don't, what would make me concerned if, if they have a breakdown in conversation. Uh, this contract, like the, like, like the rail contract, is a massive contract. There's lots of different pieces to it. But, but if, if one side indicated to me that they felt they were being, there was an uh, obstacle in the way, and, and that's not the case, at least not of yet. I was, you know, when we started talking about this in the very beginning, I was hoping that we'd have a contract by Labor Day, but clearly I was very wrong. Well, we've got to wait, and hopefully we don't have to wait too long. Another story that involves the union movement, Secretary Walsh, that you're also involved in, ConocoPhillips. You're aware of this situation with its Alaska operations, this $8 billion oil project in the Arctic. On the one hand, you've got huge union support for the project. On the other hand, the environmentalists hate it and want more involvement from the administration. Where are you on this, Secretary Walsh? Do you have a side in this one? No, I haven't necessarily had to sign this one, but I, I was asked earlier, and, you know, the, the labor unions are certainly putting lots of pressure and calling me on this all the time uh, because they're concerned about it. So we're kind of seeing as we move forward here uh, what's going to happen. Is there a compromise, and what does that compromise look like? I, I'm, not, I'm not that involved in the conversation, so I, I, can't, I can't answer that question if there's a compromise. Okay, final question to you then on the situation in Washington. Struggle to vote a House Speaker. Secretary Walsh, as someone who works in the administration, I think this is important. I saw some criticism of the situation in the United States from Chinese state media. And I asked the question at the time when I saw that criticism, what would we prefer? Some of the features of democracy where you get some chaos or what takes place in dictatorships. And I want to understand from you, do you see the situation in the House right now, Secretary Walsh, as a feature of democracy or something worse? Not yet, but, but I, I do hope that uh, this, this, the Congress can get a Speaker of the House, uh, even somebody that, that I might not agree with completely, but we need to get, we need to get our, our government up and running fully, uh, certainly. And, and I think that, you know, the, the, the Republicans are going through some challenges right now and they're trying to figure out what's going to happen there. Uh, and hopefully it'll be worked out shortly. Secretary Walsh, we appreciate your time, sir. A happy New Year. We'll catch up soon, no doubt. Thank you. Right now, let's go to Randall Krosner. He is a former Fed governor. I want to take this bigger and broader, as Mike, again, as Lisa says, massages the data. This with an equity lift uh, in the market. Bonds indeterminate right now. We have curve, you know, a little bit of curve inversion. I don't want to oversell that. Randall Krosner, to me, this is an Elizabeth Warren jobs report. We are employing Americas, Americans. These are good numbers. We need to revisit this. Why does the Fed want unemployment. Why do they want us to have less jobs? I think that's a huge confusion for our listeners and viewers. I think that's right. And it's an important point to make because it's not that the Fed wants fewer jobs. What they want is lower wage growth more um, because they're worried about persistent inflation. Um, 70, 80% of all of the, uh, the costs of, um, uh, of, um, uh, of our production in the U.S. is related to jobs and, and wages. And so if that's going up really fast, 
that can make it very difficult for inflation to come down. Now, this is the immaculate disinflation report um, that you're starting to get um, lowered wage growth, but um, lower unemployment rate, continued uh, high growth in, in jobs. As I had said before, this has never happened before where we've been able to bring the, um, uh, the uh, growth of uh, wages down and the inflation rate down without having the unemployment rate go up. This is one of those new theories we were talking about before that the Fed is putting forward. It would love to see this happen, that uh, the, uh, uh, the wage rate growth comes down without a significant increase in the unemployment rate. This is just one month's number. So let's not uh, uh, say that, mm -hmm. that we've got that victory here, but it's consistent with this very optimistic view uh, that uh, that people have uh, that potential or that some people have that maybe we could get through this without a significant recession. Randy, let's say that this is a signs of the immaculate disinflation that you talk about. And let's say we get another read like this next month and the month after. How many does it take for the Fed to adjust, given the balance of risks, that this is not actually an accurate picture and that inflation is still strong and that the labor market is too strong for the Fed's wishes? So they're certainly going to continue to buy, uh, buy insurance. They're not going to say, oh, uh, the uh, the inflation uh, wage uh, inflation is coming down just like overall inflation is coming down. We're done. They're not going to say that at all. They're certainly going to continue to to raise rates at the end of this month. Likely continue to do that in uh, uh, in in March, but it may make it more likely that they go 25 basis points rather than 50 basis points at these meetings. Uh, I think that's really where it's going to be. But they're still going to be buying some inflation because they know that this is sort of a new and untested uh, hypothesis. Um, Maybe it'll work, um, but they're not going to take the risk that, ah, uh, declare victory and then the wage rates start to go up, inflation rates start to go up, and then they've really got to move in uh, interest rates up because they worry about losing credibility. Hey, Randy, thank you. Just wonderful coverage from you, as always. Lucky to catch up with Randy Croson there of the University of Chicago and, of course, formerly of the Federal Reserve. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Steeple and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Steeple's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Steeple last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
Right now, Jeff Rosenberg joins us, portfolio manager of the Conundrum Fund at BlackRock. We're thrilled he could join us uh, this morning. Jeff, I want to ask you the question I was going to ask Professor Krosner, but instead I'll go to Professor Jeff Rosenberg. And that is, can you substitute a duration or a stasis in Fed policy for going up to a higher rate? Can you actually get away with that shell game? Uh, you know, it, it depends on what we're looking at today in, in the data and what it implies about inflation. Today's about, you know, wage inflation and, you know, can the Fed get away with a pause is, is really about whether they're making good on the inflation uh, uh, trajectory as the market is expecting it to decline. So they'll pause if inflation is declining, but they won't be able to if they're not uh, achieving their inflation uh, objectives. Uh, the, you know, I just want to comment a, a second on the, the report is mixed uh, between the unemployment rate and, 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 the, and, the, and the wages. Uh, as we have seen for a number of reports, the payroll report has really become kind of the, the stepchild of, of economic reports relative to next week's CPI. So what's really important here is what can we look through into this report as to what it says about inflation? And obviously, the headline on that is average hourly earnings, and that's a little bit positive. But what I want to highlight out of this report is something we haven't talked about yet. You know, the big expectations in inflation is that you have this persistent expectation that goods deflation is going to support the consensus expectation for declining inflation. One thing out of today's payroll report I think that's interesting to highlight is that if you look at the goods components, wholesale trade, retail, transportation, those are up to Total uh, 26k in terms of uh, 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 in terms of uh, the monthly payroll gains. That's a significant change relative to the pace of about a three-month average of negative four, six-month average of around six. And if you look through and you squint a little bit, it is worth noting that this is a little bit of a different story, that we've had an expectation that the good side is deflating. If you look into today's payroll report, it tells you a little bit of a different story, that, that maybe you're seeing some signs of life in the goods. If we see that into next week's pay, uh, CPI report, that's going to be a, a big change relative to market expectations. I think that's one of the interesting takeaways from today's payroll report. People don't do nuance well, Jeff, especially after living under the Fed's thumb for so long in terms of don't fight the Fed. So there is a question of, as you parse through the nuances of this data, what do you do? How does it shift what you actually do in the markets, what you buy, what your thesis is for 2023? Yeah, well, this is the thesis for the market consensus thesis is that goods deflation is supporting the peak inflation expectations. That supports the <laughs> Fed pause and, and really feeds into the, the market, the bond market expectation that the Fed can, can pivot. So you have the tension is really on the services inflation. Today on the headline, you get a little bit of support for that because you see average hourly earnings coming down. But this is still a strong labor uh, report. It's still a strong labor market. And we are not yet seeing a significant tightening in labor markets from the significant tightening in interest rates. That may be lags, but it may also point to a lack of interest rate sensitivity in the broader economy yeah. outside obvious candidates like real estate. I'm looking right now at the market reaction. And as uh, market participants parse through this, you could see yields significantly lower on the front end. This, to me, is interesting, down to 4.4%. It's something to write home uh, about, considering some of the volatility we've seen. But would you lean against this, Jeff? 
would you actually say that this labor market report is nothing particularly uh, shocking in order to go against what people think in terms of a hawkish Fed and that they're going to hold rates at 5% for much longer than currently priced into markets? I think you can't read too much into today's report. As, as I said, it, it's it's mixed. It's got a little bit of everything or a little bit of something for every uh, point of view. Uh, and then I think if, if you stare really closely at some of the data, there is a suggestion here that this consensus view on the good side, you know, may be undermined a little bit. I wouldn't read too much into that. And I think the kind of mixed message is reflective in a relatively muted bond market reaction to the report so far. If you're joining us on radio and television, Jeffrey Rosenberg with us with BlackRock. We continue here with a nice lift of the markets. Futures up 29. Dow futures up uh, 247. The VIX comes in nicely, so it is a better equity market off the uh, report. Uh, a bit of disinversion in the 210 spread. We are on negative 76 basis points. A less inversion here uh, seen uh, by the report. Michael McKee calls it a conundrum. Jeff Rosenberg, how do you allocate here? The hallmark of what we've seen the last two days in surveillance and conversation is everyone extending out their view. It doesn't matter which shop, sell side by side, everybody is reaching out. How do you allocate a portfolio given all this uncertainty right now where the safety may be just to take a stasis bet, not a dynamic bet out into 2023? Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a lot of sort of false changing in, in positions that associated with, you know, year ahead outlooks and the turn in the calendar. We, we haven't really changed much in terms of the narrative from where we left off at the end of last year. This is a, a, a market that is is. Uh, split between kind of soft landing and hard landing scenarios, uh, but where the consensus expectation around declining inflation, you know, leads the ability for the Fed to pivot. And what's interesting and what we saw, you know, in the minutes earlier this week is the tension that that creates with this financial conditions component of monetary yeah. policy transmission. That is, you know, the Fed wanting to push back on markets getting too far ahead of, of a Fed pivot. And I think that means for portfolio positioning, you've got to take what the market gives you. Uh, and I think you've got to be pretty cautious going into that uncertainty. What the market's giving you right now in the fixed income market is an inverted yield curve. Your best yields are found with the least amount of risk. And I think that's what you've got to take here right. until some of the clarity around hard soft landing, consensus views around inflation uh, being realized uh, start to get validated in the data. Jeffrey Rosenberg, thank you so much with BlackRock. <clears throat> Tom, let's talk about the explosion of hiring. The numbers out of Amazon are just they're unimaginable, but, they're but just that's, nuts. come on, it's the same with went, their airplanes, their trucks. It's unimaginable. Oh, no, Tom, to, to add a it's million nuts. people to the workforce yes. of a single company in, yeah. in what, three years? It's just phenomenal. Yeah. We're going to do this. I just used my fancy new iPhone to take an expanded shot here of Lisa Abramowitz, Jonathan Farrow, and our guest Dan Ives. He is Senior Equity Research Analyst at Wedbush Securities. And we're supposed to talk Apple, except Tesla's not cooperating. So we will go over to Tesla printing a 103.00. Do you have in your head a price of Tesla where Miss, Mr. Musk's world unravels? Look, I don't think we're there yet. I mean, but I will say that, look, about 60 to $70 of the sell-off has been must Twitter-driven. Now, now clearly, this part is the demand story, the price cuts that we're seeing in China. But I believe, look, at $100, we're getting to a point that I believe this is starting to get to just a massive risk war to own 
despite going into a Q4 where clearly they're going to lower guidance. And I think that's really the fear. Can you help me understand the demand backdrop? particularly in China, specifically in China. Do you think that was off the back of the lockdowns, just a lack of spending more broadly in that economy or off the back of competition? I'm trying to work out what lasts here and what fades. Yeah, I think about 30 to 40 percent of it is what I view as COVID-driven in terms of the lockdowns and, and really what we've seen in country. But but no doubt, I mean, it's an arms race that's happening in China from, from Neo, Xping to, you know, called 20 or 30 other OEMs that are really going after Tesla But when I look at the EV market in China, we're still in the second, third inning. I just view this as the market going from hyper growth to more moderated growth in the face of a recession. When they reopen, I think a lot of people would make the argument right now that this is a more nationalistic Chinese consumer. When they reopen and they've got the spare cash to spend and buy a vehicle, are they buying Teslas or are they going local? Well, that's been the debate. And ultimately, the brand of Tesla continues to really be unmatched. And I think that's why the, if you look at the Chinese consumer, especially on the higher end, if they're going for EVs, I'd say two of every three is going for a Tesla. Now, the problem is competition, price competition, what does that do to margins? And that's why the clock struck midnight for Tesla in terms of hyper growth. And that's what you're seeing reflect in the stock. Although, the as we said, 70% of the sell-off, we believe, has been Musk Twitter-driven. All right. Well, and not to get into the whole drama there, but there is this question. If you strip out the 30 percent that isn't related to that, how much Tesla is representative of a bigger story within the tech sphere, in particular that you're seeing with a lack of demand, a saturation after so much buying of certain types of electronics during the pandemic? How much have we already seen a right sizing in some of the tech companies as they do layoffs versus there more to be go more to, more room to actually cut. Well, first of all, tech companies. If you look the last four or five years, I mean, they were spending money like 1980s rock stars. So at that pace, if you look at it, that was not sustainable. Clearly, now going into a recessionary environment and what I'll call a hangover post-COVID from a growth perspective, you're going to see the cuts. But I look, I view the cuts similar to as I viewed them in 09 and 0102. It's ultimately the start of a right-sizing that leads to the next upcycle. Is this Silicon Valley adulthood upon them? Given crisis and they saved us all with the cardboard boxes when we couldn't go out, just as one example. But is it now, finally, Silicon Valley, with cost cuts, with shocks, financially, finds a new adulthood, a new sobriety to act like other American companies? I think they're transitioning toward that, toward that adulthood, because I think they've learned from their mistakes. And I think also— Microsoft never had this problem. Well, look, if you look at Redmond and how Microsoft did, ultimately, they've been tacticians, as long as I'd say with Apple, in terms of everything that Cook's done. But I think when you look at the rest of tech, I mean, it was really an arms race to really outspend because of the the, the talent level and what demand looked like. And now what's really happening is I think we go into this Q4 earnings, numbers get cut. I believe Texas under-owned today is 2009, the New York City cab driver's bearish on tech. And then I think we sit here February, March, April, to spend also what happens on macro. And I think tech stocks rip higher from here, despite sentiment, which you know many yelling fire in a crowded theater. But you think we've got to go through a kitchen sinking moment for guidance? <clears throat> the kitchen sink we get has there. to happen the last two weeks of January across the board. And that, in my opinion, marks what I view as a a core bottom. So the real question for a lot of people then is how much more downside is there off the back of that kitchen sinking moment? Or do you think that kitchen sink leads to a rally because you get this relief? Whisper numbers usually are, I'd say, 8%, 10% above street. Today, 
they're probably eight to 10% below the street. And I think that's the difference. From an institutional perspective, you've already seen <clears throat> buy side numbers come down across the board. A lot of bad news baked in here. And look, fundamentally, especially on enterprise, software, cybersecurity across the board, I mean, we're seeing 93, 95% deals still get done. And also remember, if you look at Apple, Given everything we saw with COVID in terms of China, all the supply chain issues, you would be like, okay, they're going to pre-announce negative, not even a question. They already announced their date. So again, it just goes to a point, demand, despite what I think, you know, in terms of the clock striking midnight in the eyes of many, I think is holding up better than expected, specifically in Cupertino. The story of 2022 is a real bifurcation of big tech. It was no longer big tech. It was specific industries that they're catering to with technology as their preeminent business. Are there any big tech companies that you don't think will revive, that you don't think will be underpriced, that you think can kitchen sink it and then have to kitchen sink it again later on this year? Yeah, I think that's really more on the social media. I mean, like when you look, let's say, where a meta play is, that they have significant headwinds because of what's happening on Apple, iOS, and just digital advertising and, and obviously more money spent to a metaverse. But yeah. it also goes back to it. They cut costs. Look at that stock since Zuckerberg actually peeled back spending. Uh, John, let's look at this. This is the reality. Take a photo, run it to 48 megapixels, which is the new magnificent resolution. Oh, you love this phone, don't you? Edit it in another app, throw it out to uh, Treehouse sitting in the studio. She nails it and gets it done, and we get it up in 12 seconds. That's the Dan Ives world. You love this camera, don't you? Over it, Apple. I do. I do. I love the chip. No, no, let me rephrase this. This is Help me here. Mm -hmm. The chip is what matters. Nobody in the financial media talks about the A this or the A chip in whichever toy you're talking it's about. It's the biggest innovation to come out of Apple in the last six to seven years in terms of chips. They own, they're basically being Intel at their own game. Dan Ives, fantastic to see you. Dan no, Ives, great to be here. Thank you. Thank just you. brilliant. Shares your stylus, TK. Yeah, he Similar does. Wardrobe. I mean, he's looking great. I mean, you know. Loving the jacket, bit of color for New Year. It's great. This is what we're about. We had Tom Forte yesterday from Davidson and Dan Ives today. These guys are encyclopedic on this stuff. It's not a lot of blah, blah, Look, blah. Look, for some like, of these tech firms, think about how long they've been around. They've never had to live with 5% interest rates. Yes. And I'd also make the argument in the United States, they've never really faced truly a cyclical test. Because the pandemic for some industries, of course, was a cyclical test. For these tech firms, it was not. They got an acceleration of demand. For many of these firms in their current form, yeah. this year could well be, if we do get that recession, the first cyclical test they faced in the United well, that's States. That's a new sobriety I'm talking about. And the other side of it is, and you know, we'll talk to Dan about this in the coming weeks, we're going to go to earnings, I believe, February 2nd for Apple. 27th, I think, January. Uh, Feb's, uh, it's February? Feb's, Feb's. It's Feb's. What do we get at the end of January? Uh, Tesla, Tesla's Gen, the Tesla, Microsoft, right, okay. the, the big we Amazon. We're going to go to earnings, and they're going to go, hey, we're selling all these stupid phones through the mobile phone companies for next to no money. John Farrell needs one of these, don't you think? I don't I, have a one of them. I, 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 th I think Farrell needs an iPhone 14. Yeah, needs, you know, really? What is this? I think, I'm rocking, a, I think I'm rocking a 12. Yeah, I still. think I'm. Yeah. I don't want to change this, Dan. I'm not ready to do that just yet. We'll see. You know, what am I waiting for, the 15, the 16? The 15, yes, the 16. 16. I, okay. 23? 2024, 25. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep going. You know, like it's good. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. 
and subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Success. It's discipline. It's teamwork. It's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing global wealth management and investment banking firms in the industry. Stiefel. It's where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.